Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pine Glass Preachers. My name is Tom, and I grew up and live in the, the Midwest, more specifically Minnesota. I'm of German-Irish heritage, and I cheer for the Vikings, which means I fundamentally disagree with anything in Wisconsin. Gabe, however, grew up in Michigan, is also German, but cheers for the Packers, so we probably disagree on some of those things. Josh is a European mutt, but really he wants to be Nordic, is from the hippie West, probably smokes weed and is probably pretty loosey-goosey on his politics, theology, and anything anything else that could possibly be discussed with any modicum of decency. The point is, we all come from different places, different spaces, which impacts our worldviews, beliefs, and values. We're going to discuss that tonight, so sit back. Welcome to Pine Class Preachers. It's amazing you know me so well after only 43 episodes of doing this topic. <laughs> I know, right? Like, none of that's true, but whatever. What's amazing to me is how not different we were at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like, super. We're all super white. We're yeah. probably all German. We like sports, and that's like, it. Like Josh is our key to diversity because he's from California. That's that, right. That's very exotic. Very the, exotic. The wild frontier hippie West. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I would. Where they say put it, salmon and strawberries and almonds and everything and avocados and uh, everything they can. But I think if people. If our good listeners have have truly paid attention to our show long enough here, they know that we fundamentally disagree on a lot of things, or at least have a good time arguing about stuff. This I was gonna say, I think it's true. just more the fact that we just love to argue. Yeah, but it's one thing we one thing we don't argue about is our love for for beer and spirits and the occasional wine. And so, uh, gentlemen, I would ask you, what are you drinking tonight? Well, gents, I'll start us off. Oh boy. I know we're going diverse today for I am once again on the whole 30. All right, moving and, on, Josh. And so, yeah, in, great. This happens about every 13 episodes. So we're on our fourth go around of Gabe drinking some weird kombucha. Yep. So it's ginger aid kombucha. Uh, it's very good filled with enzymes and probiotics. Uh, and uh, uh, it's organic and raw. I'm ready to go, man. Gabe, is, Gabe is ready to, to get shredded and mm -hmm. find that six pack uh you know i'm perfectly content having a beer belly which is why i am cuddling up in this cold weather and drinking a winter warmer from our local brewing company the chattanooga brewing company it's a delightful winter warmer it's making me all warm in the bones with a little cold snap we're getting here in tennessee it's been like i don't know 25 degrees oh Freezing. My yeah so cold. it's been unbearable i haven't been able to wear my sandal well that's not true i still wear my sandals outside well as I've been uh, dealing with 27 below weather, uh, I decided I decided to uh, foray out to Costco because it's become a, amongst my friends a, a known quantity that uh, Kirkland brand alcohol is really good. Their vodka is some of the best. Uh, they have some pretty good, decent bourbon. And so I decided to try out their uh, their spiced rum because, as many of you know, I am a rum aficionado. And their spiced rum with Coke is a little boozy, so I wouldn't do it over the rocks. 
Uh, but with Coke, it is perfectly acceptable. And at $15 for a 175, we're going to drink it. You're living right. Wait, what's the Kirkland right. the generic for again? Well, Kirkland is just the the brand for Costco. That's oh, it's Costco. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah you know it's a but you know, it's a bummer. We their vodka is legit. I mean, get it, we Kirkland. Can, yeah, that's what I've heard. It, uh, but you know, we can't even get uh, our Costco's aren't allowed to sell liquor because the only Costco we have is in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we were actually in Virginia for our guys weekend trying to pick up liquor, and so I was like, "Let's go to Costco," and they have the same thing, nothing there. So. Yeah, they got beer and wine. However, you know what our Costco had this holiday season was um, a Kirkland brand Irish cream, and yeah. dare I say, it was far tastier than Bailey's or um, yeah. any other Irish cream I've had. So it was nice. Well, before our listeners shut this off. Uh, the vodka comes from the Grey Goose Distillery. Their bourbon comes from Ed Dickel, and I have no idea where their bourbon or where their rum comes from, but it's again very decent. So probably from go to Barbados. Our new sponsor, Costco. 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 They're just shipping us pallets of free things. One week we'll get diapers. The next week we'll get spiced rum, apparently, or Tom hoards it all. I can't wait for diaper week. Oh. We even forgot their tequila is amazing. So again, wait, what? How? Wow. Yeah, this is this is unfortunate that I can't get any of this to try at my local Costco. Which is a bummer, but on more important yeah. note, man, we would love to hear what you think about Costco and buying booze there and anything else in the world. Uh, or you know, even our rose challenge. No one has taken us up no on our rose challenge. on our rose challenge. I know it's, it's incredibly disappointing. That's amazing. Not a single person with a good rose story. Nothing. Nothing. I apparently I'm still the winner when it comes to rose. You've got the ultimate rose story. Oh, but we would love to hear terrible. from you. Uh, please give us a shout on Facebook. Uh, we we've been better at responding. Maybe Tom and Josh don't know this because I've been the one responding, but. That's because I've been creating amazing graphics <laughs> for Photoshop and Tom and Gabe's face onto anything I possibly can. Uh, but also, and I've just been busy putting together all of our content and you know just shaping up what each of these episodes looks like. No big deal, Gabe. You keep on that Facebook thing. I do like one thing for this podcast, and I do it poorly. Thank you. Um, okay. so uh, But also text us your questions, 612-208-6258. Again, 612-208-6258. Shoot us a text. Made Josh, the paper. I made the paper. Josh made the paper, you guys. But he it's made not the paper. for what? Like, like a paper. newspaper? Like a an newspaper. old-timey thing that you read at breakfast while you ignore your children? Ironically, that very newspaper was sitting unread on my driveway, and I actually read the article in which I was mentioned digitally. A true what? millennial and hipster I am. Yes. Wow. It's it's, it's accurate. An accurate description. Anyway, we're going to break. You're not going to want to miss this. Come back and find out how I made the paper. Chattanooga Times. Free press. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Pint Glass Preachers. Uh, hope you enjoyed the break. Uh, and man, we are getting to our topic at hand. And it really gets cued off, though, with our good friend, Josh Woodrow, 
uh, making it in the local Chattanooga paper. What's it called? Chattanooga Times, Chattanooga Free Press. The Times Free Press. It's a com. It's you know, it's one of those combo deals where like oh, it used to be. Yeah. The Times and then the Free Press, and one was super Republican, one was super Democrat, and then eventually they realized we didn't need two papers, so they had to combine them into one. And now you know, easily so one of the top 220 papers in the nation. Uh, try the county of Hamilton. Hamilton County Reppin! Yup. One of the top uh, 220 papers in your county? Back to my pseudo-celebrity status. Yeah, you're right? big deal in Chattanooga. Uh, no, yeah, that's unfortunately incorrect. However... Uh, so I am a member, Bridge City Community, my church, is a member of a organization of organizations basically seeking equity and justice in the community. Okay, it's a coalition that – and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the episode. But yep. we made the paper because they were writing a feature on this upcoming coalition trying to, like I said, seek out justice and equity in the city. And uh, the reason that they interviewed me was because I represent probably the more conservative side of coalition members. All right. I'm a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod pastor. We're a fairly conservative church body. All right. Uh, Orthodox, Christian, you know, all these other things. Okay. Typically right leaning, although it's up to the individual. All right. And I'm probably more left than right. Anyway. So I get a call from the reporter and we're talking and she goes, oh yeah. So uh, I, I need to talk to one of the conservative members. So what makes you so conservative or, or whatever? I'm like, oh, you know, compared to some other other organizations and members of this coalition, you know, when it comes to like the big ticket items, like, you know, gay marriage or abortion, you know, I kind of disagree and I'm, I'm not really on that side of things. Not even thinking that that was going to be used as a direct quote. And so when the article comes out, uh, another member, a uh, founding member of this coalition, Caleb, calls me and goes, oh, hey, Josh, the article's out. You should check it out. So I do. And literally, like, the first line in the article where I am mentioned says, and the Reverend Josh Woodrow, Bridge City Community Church, who doesn't condone gay marriage or abortion, a self-proclaimed conservative, says he loves to, <laughs> you know, pursue justice and equity for the city of Chattanooga. And I'm like, so just by that one single line in this newspaper article – no matter how many good quotes I had afterwards, it was like I was lumped into some super hyper fundamentalist right wing conservative, you know, uh, crazy evangelical Christian kind of thing. When in reality, I have a much more balanced and dare I say nuanced view when it comes to things like homosexuality, the the right to choice, the right to life and all these other conversations. Um, and I don't think that it's fair to just kind of be blanketed as like. Oh, he just doesn't condone gay marriage or abortion because it just leaves it to this like stark dichotomy, which just simply doesn't exist, at least for me or the way that I negotiate a lot of these hot, you know, hot topic items uh, in society today. Yeah. And so I, I think, though, you know, this little article about you, Josh, indicates a, a broader conversation in the culture at large right now or perhaps lack of conversation. And, and I guess I would call it, for lack of a better term, tribalism. Um, and, and that's this idea where, where we all kind of live in our own little silos. We all live in our own echo chambers and, and, and folks say, well, hey, I, you know, I'm a liberal. And so I'm going to have to agree with all X, Y and Z or say, hey, I'm a conservative. So I have to agree with all X, Y and Z or I'm libertarian or whatever the deal is. And this idea of, of nuance or a common humanity or common interests or common enemies, anything like that, like just seems to be gone. And it just becomes like, how can I pigeonhole the other? How can I pigeonhole we, another person? We've talked about this ad nauseum in how many different episodes, when, especially when we're talking politics, that 
it's absolutely ridic ridiculous to me that we as humans can acknowledge that we are very nuanced one to another, but somehow we have to line up in certain views, whether it's politics, whether it's theology, or whether it's our sports teams, you know, it, it's, it's black and white all the way and nothing in between. Well, you know, what's really fascinating is, so I, t I told Jenny about it after the, my wife, after the article came out, she goes, Josh, you have to be so careful uh, when you when you drop like these really kind of trigger words or trigger trigger topics to especially to a reporter because something like this could happen. But I was like, how else? So how else do I describe myself as right. conservative in comparison to quote unquote much more liberal or progressive community organize you know community organizations or church bodies for that matter? Like how else do I say, hey, I'm I'm conservative yet at the same time still nuanced in these views or still able to um, deal with conversations, you know, that aren't going to seclude me into one particular pigeonhole or another. And, and that's really the difficulty, I think, with this tribalism conversation is like, so if you're comparing, say, me to the ALC, you know, um, ACLU, like, I, I mean, I know that's like kind of a drastic comparison, but it's like, so then how do I, how do I define myself as conservative according to like a very liberal organization like that? Or, or so Michael. My question to you, Josh, is because knowing your situation of being in a from a conservative church body, you are a pastor of a con conservative church body, but you are working in in uh, that I think demands that you have a bro a slightly broader view of what the typical LCMS congregation has. Does your views on the other stuff really matter? Because you're going to be more or liberal or however you want to say it when it comes to social justice and equality, or just to put the best construction on it, you are dealing with social equity and, and, and justice more so than a lot of our LCMS congregations go. So your views on the other topics of homosexuality and, and abortion, does it, does it even matter? Well, sure. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, it does because, and, and this kind of gets back to what Gabe was saying about tribalism, because the way that that tribalism works at its very core. So if I were just to say to this reporter, hey, I'm a conservative theologian and pastor, yet at the same time, deeply committed to social justice issues. What is defined as social justice these days? Mm -hmm. What other topics aside from economic and educational and racial racial equity are included in the category social justice for almost anyone in america they're going to say lgbtq issues right, right. um uh, you know pro choice versus pro life issues and so if i don't delineate in sort of any kind of definitive way then i'm actually pigeonholed and lumped into the tribe that i don't even belong to and actually sure. this is funny because this is what happened i was invited to this like uh, because of my involvement with this community organization, I was involved to or invited to be involved in this um, interfaith clergy association. And literally every other clergy member was a, a pastor, a bishop, a rector, whatever they're called in their particular tribe and tradition of very left leaning, liberal, progressive American denominations. And I felt so out of place because I'm like, Yep. I really have nothing in common with you because even our theology differs. Yep. So that gets us back to the point of like, how do I define myself as a conservative um, necessarily so without – like I have to toe that line somehow, so, yet what ended up happening was so, I either get put into one category or the other. So let me let me draw this back because I think what happens – I think what we're wrestling with is – 
is what's the language game around this? Like, like, and and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm skirting issues here, but so I, David Brooks has this this article that that he put out that I think really at least inspired me for us to talk about this tonight, and he calls it the the retreat to tribalism, and he says, you know, we we do this tribalism where we want to pigeonhole people and say like, hey, you're either this or you're that. You're either the oppressor or you're the oppressed, X, Y, or Z. And and he says that the problem is we, we've lost this sort of fight for a common humanity. And so he says, you know, and so he references Martin Luther King and he says, hey, Martin Luther King could do what he did with the civil rights movement because he was there with a, a high social trust. He drew on a, a debate over a common humanity and he could draw on an American civil religion that had been going on for 300 years. And so what's happened is, though, is is we've lost that sort of fight for a common humanity. And so I guess that's where I'm wondering, can we recapture that language of saying, ah, conservative, liberal, I don't really care. I'm trying to fight for a common humanity. Well, that's the difficult thing about it. Okay, so let's say I'm in this interfaith clergy collective, right? Yeah. And I'm at this meeting, and I define what you just said as racial, economic, or educational equity. Okay. And someone says to me, well, what about the rights of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community? And I yeah. say, sure, civil unions, awesome. But from a theological perspective, I'm not going to jump on that boat. Right. Then immediately I have – undermined in their eyes i've undermined my desire for this common or collective humanity this higher purpose kind of you know coalition right. and instead i have then pigeonholed myself i then have set up the tribal tribal boundaries yeah yeah when in reality i'm like cool you can do that and that's fine i'm not going to stop you and as a matter of fact like yeah i'm down with civil unions that's that that's okay with with me but i can't be associated with this collective of other clergy people um like, when i don't necessarily stand for that, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly and so that's like and this is why sometimes i find it difficult when people uh, reference like the civil rights movement because in so many ways it, it was something that with with all the difficulty and things that still need to be done in the realm of civil rights and racial equality, it, it was a, a universal type of, of thing. I think everyone would agree that that equal rights, regardless of of race, color, or creed, you know, or, or economic status, are like these these universal ideals. There are still so many things that people disagree on as far as what is elevated to that status. Um, and so to, to kind of leverage Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in general, I think it's tough. It's, it's tough to translate that because some people in that interfaith clergy council would say that a lot of these issues that they're, that they're passionate about and want to see equity in are equal to the civil rights movement. I would say, I, I don't know about that. Right. And you're right. That's actually maybe where the issue is. And then, in fact, right, if you go on a more uh, – see, because we're at a loss for words – conservative understanding of humanity um, – Man, like if if we would say a, a fetus is a human being, that an unborn child is a child, that that's a, a pretty serious quote unquote civil rights issue to deal with, um, and and so you're right. I think like it's it's hard to get at this idea of how how do we fight for a common humanity when we can't define what a common humanity should look like, or where we can find well, one, common ground I, with that definition of what common humanity is. Yeah, well, that, 
that would be my comment is when you say humanity, okay, what, what are we talking about? And then is it, whether in this day and age or in any day and age, is it feasible to be fighting on all fronts there to be, to be fighting for the rights of uh, on a racial front, on an LGBTQ front, uh, right to, you know, pro-life pro-choice, all of those things, because we, we, we said at the top of this segment here that it's much more nuanced than just black and white. And so if we have, if we all have a very nuanced thought process around each one of these pieces, then it's really hard to just lump it all together. Well, and, and I know you brought up the New York times article, but uh, let me also throw this in the mix. Tim Keller, he, he wrote an article recently in the New Yorker, um, basically kind of talking about this, the middle ground of social justice and evangelicalism and his definition of evangelicalism isn't, um, I mean, he was, he was making a lot of distinctions between how the word has been kind of appropriated over the course of the last couple hundred years in, in American Christianity. However, there's this quote that he has, and he's talking about how um, in that, that evangelicalism is far more than just like the fundamentalist, say, Church of God, Southern Baptist definitions and, and tribes that we have kind of assigned the term to um, and the political leanings of those groups um, in particular. He actually references the, the LCMS, uh, but basically he talks about the fact that um, – that white evangelicalism is aging and declining. However, evangelicalism, defined as proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, is not. Um, and he references a lot of you know the the global South and and churches in the East and all that kind of stuff spilling into North America in the in the urban centers um, like New York and L.A. and Chicago. However, this is really where where I think he he kind of sums up at least what I've been trying to define very poorly. And so he says this. He goes. Uh, in my view, churches like this tend to be more, much more committed to, to racial justice and care for the poor than is commonly seen in white evangelicalism. He's speaking to like uh, refugee-led or um, foreign-led, as in non-American citizen, yeah. you know, led churches, immigrant-led churches. Immigrant yeah. churches, yes. And he said, in this way, these churches might be called liberal. On the other hand, these multicultural churches remain avowedly conservative on issues like sex outside of marriage. They look to most eyes like a strange mixture of liberal and conservative viewpoints, although they themselves see a strong inner consistency between these views. They resist the contemporary ethical package deals that today's progressivism and conservatism seek to impose on adherents, insisting that true believers must toe the line on every one of those on, on every one of a host of issues. Uh, but these younger evangelical churches simply won't play by those rules. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's that's me. I see myself. Our church yep. sees itself as yep. as a a conservative um, and with a strong inner consistency. Yet at the same time, to the outside, we look highly tribalized. Uh, when in reality, we're we're really trying to toe the line on on so many um, of these issues, in particular with social justice. Um, you know, on, on a variety of levels. Dude, so I think that's I think you're right, man. Actually, I remember reading that article. It's, it's very good. I think what's the title? Can evangelicalism survive Russell Moore and Donald Trump? Yeah, something like that. It um, yeah. it's actually not. Yeah, the title's kind of misleading, but it is. Yeah, it's actually not necessarily about that. It's a great, great article. But at any rate, um, <clears throat> so I think this all is driving us towards something, guys. And and so I, I'm going to try and move us forward here, in that we we all seem to be on this page of saying like, 
okay, we, 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 the three of us don't like the, the sort of pigeonholing the tribalism we see, and we don't like being forced into quarters. And we don't, I don't, I think we do a pretty good job of trying not to pigeonhole other people into quarters. Uh, but so how do we do that? Like, how do we live well into nuance? And, and how do we live well into pursuing these things where we say, hey, yeah, no, we, we really are passionate about these issues that some may identify as liberal. And we really are passionate about these issues that some may identify as conservative. But we don't care because for us, it, it's, it's about something bigger. It's about the kingdom of God. So, so how do we live into that nuance well? And if I got the answer for you, uh, it's actually, it's, it's, it's overly simplistic. But uh, Brene Brown recently released a book called Braving the Wilderness. Uh, and it really is about this. It's about how, how do we live into our sort of new tribalistic age. And these are kind of her four points. And I'd be interested in what you guys think about this. All right. So, so how do we kind of live into the nuance like that, that we know is out there? And so here, here are four, four points. First one, people are hard to hate close up, move in. Second one, speak truth to BS, be civil. Third one. Hold hands with strangers. Fourth one, strong back, soft front, wild heart. People are hard to hate, close up, move in, speak truth to BS, be civil, hold hands with strangers, strong back, soft front, wild heart. I mean, that's that's sort of the reason why I'm in that newspaper article in the first place. Yeah. I am in this in this coalition, I am actively engaged. Uh, not just in conversation, but organizing activity with people that I completely disagree with on a number of social issues. Yeah, and we have had really great conversations. I, I've never hated them. I, I mean, the one distinction I would make is like, yeah, like I, I've never hated them from far away nor up close. But at the same time, it, I provided the it's been it's provided the opportunity to engage in conversations about sexual ethic and other things like that. Um, from my conservative theological perspective with these, with these individual members. Um, and, and I think that while it's catchy and I'm glad Brene Brown wrote that book and there's a ton of people, I mean, my wife is reading it right now. Uh, it's super popular, you know, hey, it's life way. Yeah. Go Jenny. Um, but, but there's a lot of merit to it and, and mm -hmm. it, it really is true. Like when you're up close and personal with someone, it is far harder to to be vitriolic and just spew malice. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're sort of forced to engage the humanity of the person in front of you in yeah. order to find a common ground, just simply not to like get into a fist fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, with all of those things, like, yeah, it's tough because I've had these same people that I've had these great conversations with and I'm working alongside towards social justice in a number of regards, uh, be like, uh, dude, you're you're full of crap. Like Yep. I don't know how you actually believe that. And so my back yep. has had to be tough. Yet at the same time, I would say in a very Christ-like manner, had to then approach these same individuals with compassion and say, yeah, you know, I don't actually, this is just sort of what I, what I think the Bible is telling me, what I believe to be true based on my faith. And I don't know, I could be wrong. I think I'm right, but hey, let's just kind of keep this conversation going. And that is what has earned a lot of respect as the most conservative member of this coalition with these quote unquote, more progressive or liberal, you know, members. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the thing. And, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not doing this episode just to pat Josh on the back, uh, but you're, you're just more the, uh, uh, the case study here, right? In yeah, that, no, 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 that's, that's it. That's it. It's just as a case study. And so, so I think that is the thing though, because 
I mean, in many ways, and you know, I've shared with you guys, I'm, I'm kind of facing a similar struggle in, in, in my church where there's an organization that, that we really, I think, would like to partner with. They, they help keep um, youth off the street, uh, young kids, not young. I mean, they're young, 13 to, to 19 years old, uh, youth that are in rough family situations and have run away from home and they provide housing for them, which is like, dude, no brainer. Of course we're there. Like we're helping them out. Right. Um, but the, a lot of the counseling they provide, and it's not just like, Oh, we do this on the side. It's like full on, like just the way they understand sexuality and gender is just not in line with, with what I would line up with or our church would line up with. And so I say, man, do I give a bunch of money to this organization? Do I give a bunch of volunteer hours to this organization? Do we give a lot of time when there's like this, this pretty deep belief that we do not line up on? And yet they're taking kids off the street. Like is that's central a focus. Thing. Is it a central focus for this organization? It is not their sole focus. It is not the, like, it's not the primary focus, but I will say this go to their website. It's the first or second thing you'll see. Okay. Uh, go inside any of their buildings. It's the first or second thing you'll see. Um, now, part of that though, and again, and so this is where it gets even more tricky to me, is part of that is because a lot of these kids, just statistically speaking, uh, that are runaways or in rough family homes, like are dealing with sexual identity issues and gender identity issues and have are coming from places where that, you know, that's maybe not accepted or not understood or, or whatever. And so, there's, there's a really good reason they're being compassionate, but it's like, I want to be compassionate too, but I can't go. There's a line that I can't quite go to. And you know, it's, it's so funny you say that because on the flip side, I mean, especially since this episode has seemed to be centering most around like a, a sexual or gender ethic, you know, in society today, you know, what's funny is like, I think I would have the same hang up if I was looking to partner with an organization that was. Um, oh, I'm not gonna remember. I want to. I want to say it was called the Exodus Project or something like that. Do you remember that back oh, yeah, in like yeah, the no, 90s? Yeah, yeah. Right, and it was like I think it's still a thing. Super intense, over the top Christian counseling focused on like deprogramming a same sex attraction sexual ethic. You know what I mean? And yeah. like I, I think I would have the same hang up partnering with an organization like that because once again, yeah. when it comes to nuance and and an individual on individual confrontation. I don't mean that in like an actual confrontational kind of way, but like individual interaction with people, case by case basis, you know, whatever other synonym you want to use. I think I would have the same hangup yep. if it was an organization like that, because yep. I think that they themselves then take the tribalism to a point where it is difficult. It makes the, the decision difficult. It makes the conversation yep. uncomfortable and awkward. So to me, though, right. But then the the issue, I guess, if I to to bring it back to me, uh, that I run into is like this Typical. isn't an organ. Yeah, this isn't an organization that's like just about sexual identity. I mean, like their primary mission is to get kids off the street. And so to me, that's like, well, I I'm a, I'm on board with your primary mission. It's it's the it's like this sidebar. That's a pretty big sidebar that I'm wrestling with. And so then it becomes like are there other organizations that I'm more that I, and so this, I guess is my struggle. Are there other organizations that are doing what they're doing, you know, keeping kids off the street that I line up with more ideologically and worldview wise. 
But if you do that, aren't you perpetuating the exactly. same tribal system exactly. that you brought in the first place? Exactly. That's my struggle. That's uh -huh. actually it. And, and game, how, exactly does right. how, how does the same kind of thought process translate to you to other things? Your friends that you choose, the people, the the soccer team that you that you play with. I mean, if you have people team that are diametrically opposed to some of the things that you you believe in, do you do you not play on that soccer team? Do you not hang out with those people? No, I, I absolutely do. But that's me as an individual, number one. So it's not me leading a church or an organization. Yeah, but whether you, but but I think I, I did. I think the key difference between you you and I is that you do lead a very public organization and that whether you like it or not, you are still pastor of your church. You are still pastor Gabe, whether you are out at the local yeah, Chick-fil-A or like, whatnot. But like, I'll put it this way. Like, so I, I have a friend who's a Satanist, right? Which is just absurd, but at any rate he is. And um, like, Apologies to the Satanist listener, two point. Yeah, sorry, Satanist listener. Uh, but uh, like that. But okay, but like, so we disagree on everything, right? Like, can't can't get more opposite. But like, he's still going to be my friend. He's still going to be someone that I care for and love. But I'm and not hang out with and hang out with. Yeah, but I'm not going to go to a Satanist rally. I'm not going to or whatever they do. I'm not going to give well, money towards his organization. I mean, like. Right. Well, I, I, well, oh my gosh! I, I think this this gets to the 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 heart of this gets to the heart of how to undermine tribalism, and that is that we have defined common humanity when it comes to issue, right? Okay. Okay. Religion, sexual ethic, um, racial ethic, economic ethic. I mean, w whatever you want to call it, right? This is where we. This is where we draw the line. I also like, think we we've been defining the but, line as financial as well. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Economic and financial ethic. You'll hang out with your Satanist friend. You'll play soccer with your your Satanist friend, but you won't spend a dime on your Satanist friend. Oh, I'd spend a dime on him. I would yeah, spend but, a dime on his yeah. organization. Yeah. Okay. And so this is this is what I'm getting at is we we've defined the common humanity as an issue instead of the common humanity as the human themselves. Right. Right. right? Because you will do anything and everything with your Satanist friend who, who for all intents and purposes, you are diametrically opposed to in, in yep. almost every regard, right? Yep. Yep. But the common the, the common humanity, the common yep. good is he is a fellow human. And yep. in the same way, in the organization, Caleb here in Chattanooga that I'm a member of, I'm able to engage in all these kinds of conversations and issues, not because we, we take a stance on on an issue itself, but because I see the humanity in the other people in the room and the fact that our desire for social justice has entirely to do with individual humans. So yeah. what is it that stops us or, or that limits us to remaining in our tribes and dehumanizing the other instead of loving them as our neighbor? Yeah. And then therefore engaging them on, on, on a variety of topics, uh, you know, no matter you know, no matter what. Yeah. No, dude, and and I think that is it. I mean, and and maybe for the good listener, they're thinking, "Oh, this is too simplistic and too naive," and you're you're living in John Lennon's imagined land. Um, I mean, I am naked. He is, and 
<laughs> almost said a joke <laughs> that would have crossed a line. Uh, cross anyway, a line. And we are not, we never cross lines here on Pike. Never. Ever. Um, but, uh, but that it is about recognizing the image of God in the other and recognizing and right. So it's, it's not, and this isn't a, and, and so I think it is actually a, a Christian, a deeply Christian virtue. Uh, right? I mean, Jesus talks about loving your enemies and Jesus talks about praying for those who persecute you. And, and so it's, it's a deeply Christian virtue to, to see the humanity and not in just some sort of like, we're all the same kumbaya. No, it's saying like, man, that person is made in the image of God. And so I can love that person. And so in light of that, I have to wade into this messy stuff and I can't just pigeonhole them because they're a human being with infinite value and infinite worth. Yet at the same time, and, and I just came across preparing for a sermon for the Sunday, came across this great quote from uh, Virginia Stem Owens in her book, Looking for Jesus. And she's talking about an encounter Jesus has with a, a Gentile, a demoniac. And she basically says says this, she, she creates an ethic for all of Christians in kind of the same way that you're saying, Gabe. Yeah. And she says that if you follow Jesus, you cannot impose your will on others, nor can you stop speaking the truth that your adversary may find threatening? And this Oof. is not a comfortable position to be in. And I couldn't agree more. Like, really, yeah. that's that that, that's that gets to the foundation of, of what it is. Like, as Christians, Dude, that's so conservative, good. liberal, however we define ourselves, we cannot – I mean, any human cannot impose our will on the other. But for the Christian, we are also called to speak the truth that someone may find threatening or invading or – you know, antagonistic, whatever the case may be. And ultimately that's an uncomfortable position to be in. That's the paradox of Christianity. That is a tension that all Christians must exist in. And I think that some tend to avoid the tension, tend to avoid the paradox, avoid the paradox and choose to be more tribal than others. Yep. Yeah. Josh, didn't you just talk about that in a sermon recently where you're like the, the statement love, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing is really kind of an asinine comment. Yeah. Hey, well, Tom, what? Tom? Wait, did you? Wait a second. Did you listen to one of my sermons? Dude, I listen to a lot of your sermons. Ayo, yes, I did say that. Yeah, I basically called BS on the fact that <laughs> loving the sinner and hating the sin is a bunch of crap because that's not actually biblical. Yeah, and I think it plays into the comment that you just made about that we have to address some of these really uncomfortable Un, uh, uncomfortable truths as we see it or these these points of discussion. And it brings us back to where you sit in this coalition of uh, of organizations. And so my question to you is, what have you seen any fallout or feedback from the other coalition members based on the article? Uh, no, no, not because of the article. But thankfully, this article has come two years after I've – almost two years after I've developed a relationship with the other coalition members and okay. had some pretty tough and uncomfortable conversations with them. And I think that the benefit to it is they will read that and they will know that I'm not some hyper tribalistic fundamentalist, right-wing conservative Christian. Right. Like they because know who we, you are. Actually. Yeah. 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 They know who we are. The, the reader who is completely unknown to me and I, to them may be a different perspective, but yeah. for those who are in the coalition, they know that that's just simply not the case. Yeah. Well, friends, man, I think we have done a good job on this topic. I don't always say that, but I say it tonight. And so we're going to Actually, gonna go to... we, we rarely say that. Most times we're like, well, this is terrible. That was awful. Uh, but we're going to go to break. But when we come back, 
We've got an interesting stat for you. We all know everyone loves a good stat. So uh, get ready for that, gang. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Welcome back to Pint Glass Preachers. As promised, here's the stat. Are you ready? You were waiting. Here we go. In 1994, only 16% of Democrats had a very unfavorable view of the GOP. Now 38% do. Then only 17% of Republicans had a very unfavorable view of Democrats. Now 43% do. When the Pew Research Center asked Democrats and Republicans to talk about each other, they tended to use the same words, closed-minded, dishonest, immoral, lazy, unintelligent. Pretty interesting, I think, how quickly things shift in, uh, in a matter of, what, three decades. First of all, I, w- I don't know if you guys know this, but 92% of all stats are false. <laughs> Actually, I think I've heard that 76% of all stats are made up. Well, you know, same thing. Secondly, I'm surprised that the numbers are that low. What was it? In only 90, 30, only thirty six percent or forty three percent? Yeah, it is. You're actually right. I, I think you're right. I, I would have said a hundred percent of Democrats think that Republicans are idiots, and vice versa. Like, that's a good that's a good question. Although I don't know. I mean, Tom, you generally call yourself a Democrat, right? Yeah, I. I I think in my best of days, I call myself a Republican, but I think most days you're going to find me on the Democratic side of things. So would you, I mean, let's just take you as an, uh, for instance, like, do you, do you have a very unfit, this is the, the quote, do you have a very unfavorable view of all Republicans? All, okay, so your, your comment of all Republicans is interesting because if you say all Republicans, I would say no, because I know lots and lots of people who are Republicans. Okay, okay. And, but but it's in this day with this administration, it's very hard to to separate real people from those in office. That's a great point. That's because great. I I believe that those in in office are complete idiots. So. I mean, especially when it comes to the fact that we might be on the brink of actual nuclear war. It's like the seventies, right? Right. But not Russia. It's North Korea. I I am absolutely convinced that Donald Trump has like this merry-go-round wheel of fortune type of thing and he just spins it every morning and whatever it comes up on that's who he chooses to disparage on twitter he's like oh and great let's do it next morning it's pakistan or whatever but all of this goes just to show that that we are in a we are in a culture continues to create avenues for tribalism and can I summarize as saying that we think that's bad? Yep. Yeah. You know what's even worse about tribalism is when someone who's not from a particular tribe tries to embody tribalism. And by that, I mean me. Because Go in on. college, yep, I was at Concordia University, Irvine. And Eagles. had an anthropology class in which we were able to shoot a video for our final grade. 
exhibiting a lot of the things we learned in said anthropology class. And one of said things was tribalism. And so I decided it would be a good idea in my sophomore, sophomore year, maybe junior year of college, to put on a pair of tidy whities hike them up as high as they could go, and tie a couple of bandanas around my waist, making it seem as if I was wearing just a loincloth with nothing underneath. And then go knock on people's doors. And I knocked on what I thought was a friend, a young lady, and she let me in, started screaming. All the other people in the room started screaming. And then it was accused of sexual harassment. So For real? No joke. It was intense. Bro. Um, I mean, nothing was exposed. I had underwear on. However, the perception was my tribalism was out of control. So lesson to all of you young college students who think it'd be funny <laughs> slash a good idea to tie a couple of bandanas around your waist and pretend like you got nothing hiding underneath. Um, tribalism is a bad thing. And on that note, Last call. Listen, get in on the Rosé Challenge. Send us your best Rosé stories. 612. Text us. 208-6258. I'd say Instagram, but Gabe never checks it. I don't. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter neither. Ne- neither that either. Ne- I have neither, one or job. Neither. neither or neither. It ne- doesn't get looked at. So either Facebook us or text us at... 612-208-6258. Or call Tom on his personal cell phone. 612. Uh, hold on, let me pull it up. JK Rowling. I won't pull it up. Uh, that's it, man. Keep it real. Get a tribal yeah. tattoo. Get a tribal tattoo. <laughs> send us a, a picture of your pine glass preachers as well. Get a tribal tattoo, Chaz. Tom will right. pay for it. See ya.